Hi guys, before we get stuck into this week's mixtapes with Mike, I wanted to apologise for the lengthy delay between episodes. There's been some stuff going on which I'll explain in more detail in the outro later, but I wanted to let you know that episodes are being recorded and we should be getting back to the weekly release schedule from this moment on. But I do appreciate all of your patience up until now. Let's get to it. Welcome to Mixtapes with Mike, the podcast where I invite a guest to make us a mixtape of 10 tracks without using the same artist twice. We're going to talk about each song, and if you like the sound of what you hear, you can listen to the mixtape in full on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. So if you're the kind of person who'd like a new mixtape every Monday, please consider subscribing. And if you enjoy the episode, it would mean the world to me if you would share it with someone who you think would enjoy it. Now this week we are speaking to songwriter, trainee psychologist and dedicated cat mother, Jess Guys. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing well, how are you? I'm good. We got we got here in the end. <laughs> yeah, it was that I think it was June when we first started trying to schedule this. Possibly, possibly, but it's yeah. it's fine. These you know, all good things and all that. Um so you are another of my sort of random, sort of what's the word? What's the what's the word? Random recruitments. In all sorts of directions. Recruitments. Good. Random yeah, recruitments uh, on social media. <laughs> That's probably the most diplomatic and responsible yeah. way of putting this. Um, yeah. I, I I tap people up at random who I think will will have uh, an interest in putting a nice mixtape together. And for, for for fairly obvious reasons, because I thought you would be that because you you're a musician yourself. Yeah, yeah, and actually, to be honest, it was really stressful trying to put a mixtape together for me because there's too there's too much music in the world and it, there are too many songs, and I it, it was hard. It wasn't an easy ask. I didn't think. I wonder if some people just find it really can just chuck it at you, but it took me weeks. Well, a, a lot of people agonise over it. I very regularly get a message going, "This has been so hard." Um, and but Why? but a couple of times people have been really uh, sort of utilitarian about it, and they've just gone, "The app says this is what I listen to the most," which is fine. Wow. It's fine. Yeah. But... I don't trust the app though, because for a period of time I, I lived next to a pub and I therefore I just had brown noise on quite often to get to sleep because it was noisy next door. And my and then obviously I run I you know, I go running and I have a running playlist and I listen to that stuff things I would never normally sit and listen to. So at the end of the year it's like your top listen to tracks are like brown noise and Taylor Swift and I love Taylor Swift, but like I wouldn't do you know what I mean? I wouldn't put brown noise or Taylor on this mixtape actually I might put it I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the great Taylor Swift right now you know what my opinion changed dramatically when I watched the documentary yeah yeah it's great I mean I, I'd, be, I'd be completely honest I'm a massive fan I think she's wonderful I think she's extraordinary but um, but I wouldn't have a lot to say about those songs apart from like I think she's great I love Tay Tay and that's maybe not what we're here for <laughs> it'd be a brief episode it's <laughs> just like just yeah, like exactly. ten, 10 of those exactly. it's not a lot of story apart from I'm obsessed with her like a super team fan um, so yeah yeah, I mean, and obviously because because I I recreate everyone's playlist 
on on my phone to share them、mm. with the episode. I don't think、yeah. my algorithm really knows which way is up with me because be- yeah, because because、know. last week it was RuPaul, Cher, and Britney.、Uh, <laughs> oh my god, amazing! So you know, which is、That's、you know, which is all great, but not not first go to picks from for me、uh, on a, on, on your average day. Um, no, maybe on a run though. Again, this is the thing when you're running, you can listen to all sorts of stuff. I don't know if you run, but、um, uh, I... no, I'm lazy. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I have to listen to music that、um, I don't like very much. It makes me go faster. Oh get, wow, get that's、running. a different approach. <laughs> I'm kind of joking, but it's it's not it's not my normal sitting down listen to kind of stuff. So okay, so how did you approach making your your mixtape? So I like. I think I just wrote down all the songs that I could think of that meant a lot to me,、mm-hmm. um, which took a long time. And not all the songs, but like the obvious ones, the, the biggest, the big hitters in my life. And then I kind of went through and tried to pick out the ones that I have slightly because some of them are, are important for similar reasons, and some of them are important, you know, because but just because I love them. And again, like I don't want to just fangirl. On the on the show, so I kind of tried to pick the ones that I have at least something to say about.、Um, but now I'm looking at the list, and I can't remember what any of the things that I thought I was going to say about these songs are, apart from I love them. So we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll, we'll f- but I think I did four or five drafts before I sent you the one that I sent you. Well, I, lo- I love that you made that much effort and you took that much time、yeah. over it. So don't worry, and we'll, we'll find our way through this. Yeah. So, who's your first track by? My first track, and this was quite an easy one actually. My first track is、uh, by the wonderful Tar Williams, who is、uh, someone that a lot of people have never heard of.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have heard of her, people tend to freak out when other people have heard of her.、Um, she is a singer-songwriter, American, an American singer-songwriter. She is the reason that I started writing songs. I'm not sure I would ever have done it without her and without a couple of her albums as a young person. That inspired me to start writing, so it kind of had to be her to start with. Amazing! I, I,、yeah. the, the, this track for me, like I hadn't heard of her before this. Yeah, so it's spreading the yeah. So, so it's the, so it's this sort of the, straight off the bat. There's this like, oh, what is this? Because it's it's really upbeat, but there's a but it's also kind of perpetual because there's this sort of the harmonica that is just kind of pulsing through it and never really lets up. Yeah. So like no, yeah. I always thought that I think there's a didgeridoo in there as well, actually, in the mix. I don't know.、Wow. <laughs> I've never known. There's a low. I'm not quite sure what she's done on the mix, but it's amazing. But it is such. It is such a cheerful song. But it's so. And like Dar Williams is basically the person in my own songs that I've always aspired to be like, or or indeed just be. I'd like to just be her.、Um, and this song is all about like this is a song about jealousy, I think, and it's about trying not to be jealous. Um, and I'm someone who definitely has been jealous in their life. Like it's a, and it's a feeling I, I get、um, stung by, should we say? I guess and have been stung by. And it's therefore this song was always one that I turned to when I was having these feelings that I didn't like. And it's just, they say it's so upbeat and it's so optimistic. And it's just like it's very hard to stay feeling awful when you listen to a song like this. Yeah, I like that. There's there's a medicinal kind of angle to it. I think I think especially if you're in like.、Um, If you're in like a creative kind of industry, where 
it's not always like a meritocracy. There's not, there's no sort of, there's no direct line. There's no queue. You don't have right. a, like a designated number or, or like a turn. It's, Absolutely. it's kind of luck of the draw. So, and and I get it in comedy as well, where you get people who've been going the same amount of time as you, and. It, it, in a moment of selfishness, you think like I'm, I can, I'm better than that guy. Why don't I get that opportunity? You know what I mean? <laughs> I do because I was an actress for ten years. I mean, I, I sort of this song is about like romantic jealousy, which I guess is where I first in in the years of tra- my in my twenties, the trauma years, uh, romantic trauma years. It was really important to me on that front to just sort of keep me grounded and keep me level. This song and all of God, but but um, but I also was an actress for ten years, which is. A horrible industry, I think, possibly especially for for a young woman, possibly especially for a young blonde woman. Like I was told regularly that I should remove my degree from my CV because it might intimidate directors and things like this. Generally, it was it was gruesome, and you're you're given there's always but there is it is always about like who's prettiest, who's youngest, who's and it's just disgusting. It's a horrible industry in some ways. It's it's lovely in others, but um, but yeah, I really know what you mean. <laughs> and um, Music I feel a bit differently about because at least in music you can just get up and build something of your own. Mm-hmm. I haven't really needed it from a musical perspective and someone else doing well in music, they're never taking your slot. Do you know what I mean? They're just building their own thing, which is cool. Whereas in, in acting sometimes, not that they were ever actually taking my slot, but if somebody gets a job that you've gone for, then that's a job you didn't get. Um, and that can be Yeah, that's, that, that's more like a direct kind of competitive yeah. kind of thing whereas like I suppose I suppose in music you're you're occupying similar spaces but you're not necessarily yeah. going for all the same things so yes yeah I don't think we can be hurt by other people's success in I mean in, in anything really it's not their success that hurts but it can be I feel like it sometimes but in um in music especially if it's someone you know or a friend of yours or whatever it can only be wonderful it can only be a good thing because mm-hmm. everyone builds their own little shit that they say or um, or at least that's the way that I have encountered it so far. Okay, um, so this is? This song is called As Cool As I Am. Okay, so moving on from Dora Williams, who are we listening to next? So next is um, next is is Dire Straits, who are um, probably need no introduction at all. Dire Straits are the great one of the greatest bands of all time, in my opinion. I think that's uncontentious, uh, but apparently it is contentious in certain places because people are wrong about music sometimes. Um, I was I was raised, but my dad was a massive Dire Straits fan. My dad's a really formative mm-hmm. figure in my life. Um, he passed away when I was eighteen. Um, he taught me to play the guitar and he he sort of taught me about music he was a real um music fan of the best kind i was very passionate about it and really cared about it and he was a big die straits fan um and we lived sort of half lived for a bit in northumberland um mm-hmm. so obviously roughly the part of the world that the straits come from um and this song and indeed almost all die straits kind of root me it makes me feel very grounded in this beautiful place. We lived in a place called Crestoach by the sea. 
um, and it's, you can tell from my accent, obviously, how much, how much time I used to spend in Northumberland, right? But um, but it, do, it does always feel like kind of a second home. It does feel like a really safe place, and, and the landscape there is so awe-inspiring and so um, bewildering. It makes you feel very small, but in a really comforting way, I find. Um, and the music of Dire Straits, just because it conjures those memories, will help me feel like more more grounded and more comforted and uh, keep me level. But then there's also, because Martin Offer, obviously, you know, he's lauded for his guitar playing most of the mm-hmm. time. Um, I don't know if you're a fan. I'm not sure if you're allowed not I, to well, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> say like I was a fan, but I... As a musician, you can't not appreciate yes. like the songwriting and the the technique, and it's yes. and it's probably one of those things that some songs you enjoy more than you might like to admit. And I think that that, that peaks and troughs a bit. Admit it, shout it from the rooftops, God. <laughs> no, I and I, I I think that's a, like that peaks and troughs depending on how old you are. Because I think if when you're a teenager, you don't want to admit that you love that thing that your dad loves. Something yeah. you, you want to identify with the music that is kind of maybe connected to your peer group or the, or the, something that's more contemporary for where you're at at that point in time. Yeah. And then I think when you get older and you learn to appreciate music in in a in a broader, more in-depth way, mm. I think that's when you can learn to appreciate bands like Dire Straits and musicians like Martin Offler all the more maybe I mean that it's not it's definitely not my experience only because I just I've spent my entire life and you'll see it gets worse as we go through this mixtape right it's like I spend most of my life at gigs where I'm the only person without grey hair this is this is the norm for me and I have always done that and it's not so much that I you know some of the lots of these bands are people that my dad loves but some of them are like old older uh, folk crooners you know that I am obsessed with then that's just what I love and it's never really mattered to me if people my age love them or not and I and I honestly I think I never really cared about liking the same music as my dad because he had better taste than my friends but that's because all my friends were obsessed with Britney (laughs) so well yeah I mean who your friends are like if you've got musical friends then and some of my friends were very musical and we found stuff that we shared but a lot of the time when I was a kid, you know, and my group of girls at school loved them bits, but they weren't all particularly musically inclined, I guess. So. Yeah, I think like if you're if you're if you're picking between those two pools, then yeah, there's the, there's a lot more to to sort of relish yeah. on your dad's side. I mean, there. Don't get me wrong, I had Britney's first album and I played it on loop for a protracted period of time when I was eight, but at the same time I was also listening to Die Straits, so. I don't know, that's obviously sort of kind of a weird combination. But the thing about Mark Knopfler is that you can, obviously you can kind of appreciate the brilliance of his guitar playing, mm-hmm. but he also like, is just an extraordinary lyricist. And he writes these beautiful, beautiful vignettes or, or sort of images of the world that he comes from, the world that he knows, and, and that world is a place where I felt very at home. Not, not completely, I didn't live in, in Newcastle itself, but it's... The culture that he talks about feels very comforting as well, and and sometimes it's very sad, but it's always beautiful even when it's completely ordinary. And I think that that's an incredible skill in in a songwriter. So yeah, he's he's a fave, and I am not embarrassed. <laughs> so. so this track is so this track is Walk of Life.
so that's Dire Straits. Who's up next? So up next, um, this is another band. This is more, more sort of one uh, one of my own that I encountered of my, of my um, all on my own out in the wilderness. None of my friends knew them. None of my family knew them. It was a job I was working in uh, in a cafe when I was sort of 14 or 15. Um, and this came on stereo and I asked the man that owned the cafe or the, that was running the cafe who they were and they gave me this record and it was August and Everything After, so Counting Crows. Um, and I and I remember Max, the guy that ran the cafe, was like, um, the, these are the coolest people in the world. And he was like, Adam Juritz, the lead singer, is the coolest man in the world. And I was like, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> this is the guy who owned the cafe was what, like six years older than me or whatever, and he was therefore like ultimate cool dude. And I believed everything he said. But then I listened to that album on loop for four months and months and months. And I still think it's one of the best albums ever written. I'm slightly upset about this one actually, because when I put this on the playlist, my husband is currently has just finished touring with the Counting Crows. And when right. I put this on the playlist, I was supposed to be going to the States to see the Counting Crows with him, but they didn't change the rules in time, the, the COVID rules, so I couldn't get in in time. So I'm, I'm oh, currently mate. at this moment not seeing the Counting Crows with <laughs> my husband. Whereas when I put it on the list, I was like, oh, brilliant. I'll tell the story about how I'm going to go and see them. Um, but I'm not seeing them. However, I still uh, am completely obsessed with them. And again, it's like, the writing's really poetic. It's kind of all about the words, and and that's always been a thing that really appeals to me. I, I mean, I've 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 never gone all in on Counting Crows, but yeah. my perception of them was that the music was fairly melancholic. But this one's quite upbeat yeah. and kind of optimistic. Yeah, well, this is so. This is a different album. This is of this desert life, which so um, the August and everything after, which is the first album I encountered, is very, very, is melancholy. Is is very sad, very beautiful. Um, this album has a lot more cheerful stuff on it, like and and later mm. stuff does. You know, they do have some upbeat ones. This one, I just kind of love the brutal honesty about it. It sounds like a days off in a musician's life, or like days off in an actor's life or you know the artist when they're not arting when they're just literally in their pajamas all day that's what i kind of love about, about this one is that it's very honest and a bit silly and i think there's someone at the beginning who literally goes i love this song in the background and i always thought that was a really bold thing to do in your own song <laughs> somebody go i love this song at the beginning i always thought that was quite fun so no yeah this is a slightly different to some of their own stuff. It is nice when you see someone have a sense of humour like on record rather right. than just like I'm the serious musician, listen to my pain. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's a little bit of self-referential humour, it goes a really long way. And that's that's definitely a feature with this. Oh, I think it's in quite a lot of their work actually, like the and the you know, the most famous track, Mr. Jones, is all is all self-deprecating humour, but this one is, is better, I think. Okay, so this is? So this is hanging around. Alright, 
So moving on from Counting Crows, who are we listening to now? So next we're, we're going to be listening to the wonderful Martin Simpson. And he is, he's an extraordinary writer. I don't know if you've come across him before. First time I listened to him properly was when I listened to your mixtape. Oh, great. Okay. Again, spreading the word. That makes me happy. So mm-hmm. Martin is like the perfect example of somebody who's gay that I go to where I'm the only person who doesn't have grey hair. Not that there's anything wrong with having grey hair. It's just that there is, like, I am always the youngest person there by, by quite a while. But um, I think that that's... It's partly just because the world of folk tends to tends to be something that people get into as they get older. Um, mm-hmm. But he is, so he's a proper, proper folky Martin. He's an extraordinary guitar player, sort of, he's a blues guitar player as well. He plays a lot, um, a lot of like Americana blues and uh, things that I wouldn't know what to call, all sorts of styles that I don't understand. And he's very, 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 very good at the guitar. Um, and he's more of a guitarist than a singer, like, on paper, I guess, um, in that he's not, like, a, a crooner, you know? He doesn't, like, go... He doesn't have a huge amount of range, but he just has this brutal honesty in the way that he tells stories. Um, and he's very connected to old-school folk, like, really old-school folk, proper folk, um, mm-hmm. which I love and have always loved. And I've always wanted to be able to kind of write, but it, folk, folk songs don't really come out of me. The songs that come out of me are always a bit poppier than that. It's weird, isn't it? Like, as much as you would, you want to will yourself in one direction, totally. whatever comes out, comes out. And there's no... <laughs> And you're like, ah, oh, another pop song. Right, okay, shit. I was, aim- I was aiming for, like, Willie of Willsbury, but here I am with with uh, Baby One More Time. But, yeah, exactly. So it's not it's not um, mainstream, shall we say, mm-hmm. Martin Simpson. He's very sort of very much in the proper folk club world. Um, but that's something I really love and I really wish that I could do. And this song, I first heard him play... Um, live, so I first encountered this song live, and it absolutely broke me, like on the floor, weeping, um, which was embarrassing. But it is just a really beautiful song. It's about his dad. Um, it doesn't really. It's not that it relates so much to my dad. It's just the story is so honest and beautiful and lovely. It's weird when a song does that to you, isn't it? Yeah. Especially yeah, if out in public, like. In public. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, fair enough. If you're driving somewhere in a car and something unexpectedly gets you, like, you can you can shed a tear and, exactly. and, you know, and not have to worry about it. Maybe another commuter might think you're having a particularly bad day if they <laughs> glance through the window. Exactly. But, but in uh, a it's, it's, I mean, in some ways I think it's kind of lovely because it's nice for the artist. I mean, I know this for myself, I'm sure you do too. Like, if you see, if you see that you've made someone cry... Part of you is like, oh shit, are they okay? And the other part of you is like, yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you know that like you've written something about you've written something good. Like whatever it is, like it's not a shit. It's had an effect. Like so, I suspect he feels quite. You know, it means it means his work is powerful. That's what it means. It's the biggest compact. I had a I had a weird one about <laughs> a month and a half, two months ago. I made myself cry. Okay. <laughs> Gig. No, writing writing a writing a piece of music. Oh, so yeah. I've I've not really good written. Time. I've not written new music in forever. Like it's just cause like um, I don't play as often as I should. Every time I pick up an instrument, like and start playing, something will come. Yeah. But I'd, 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 as often as you should. 
yeah, and I was listening to I was listening to a Julian Baker record, and I was kind of sort of singing a harmony over the top of it, and then this lyric popped into my head, and then all of a sudden I had a verse, and then I picked the guitar up and written half a song, and I and I. I started working on the second verse and it became apparent as I was writing it that it was about passing sort of little bits of sort of knowledge onto my son. And then I wrote this one line and I just like, just nailed myself in, in a moment. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Well, you should put it um, out. This is a great sign. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, like, a, there's a friend of mine who knows all that, uh, all about sort of getting things out. Cause it's so much easier to put things out yeah, and, exactly. you know, and, and, and distribute it yourself, so maybe. But then it's it's uh, it's whether we, whether, whether we record a, a proper version or just do the little demo that I've, I've got of it. But, um, but, yeah, it was a very weird moment. Yeah, I know. I've, I've had a few, uh, there are a couple of songs that I couldn't play in public for a few years because there's one that I play all the time now Brother in Arms which is on my first EP that the first few times I tried to play it in public I had to give up so I know what you mean like it's it's but it tells you again it tells you like oh this is not shit so it doesn't even matter if anyone else likes it you're like it's definitely not shit because look it breaks me it must be good there's got to be something in it so I get yeah. it. My point being that as much as it was maybe a bit distracting to have like this snot-filled bubble on the floor of his gig, in theory that moment was a real compliment for Martin's in <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? See, there was you. There was you worry that you 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 might not be able to like string a narrative together for this mixtape, and you're painting <laughs> such a beautiful picture. Such beautiful pictures. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really think about the order, so it's a bit back and forth. But um, but yeah, this is the snot song. So <laughs> I'm sure it's not called that though. No, it's not <laughs> called that. No, it's called Never Any Good. You are never any good with money. You couldn't even hold a job. You came home from the Great War with the pips of a captain's rank, a German officer's luger. And no money in the bank Your family sent you down the coal mine To learn to be captain there But you didn't stand it very long You needed the light Right, now, now, now we get to a, a bit of a crunch time because you tried to offload some of the responsibility for your mixtape <laughs> onto me by saying, I want this track either... The Cindy Lauper version oh. or the Eva Cassidy cover, <laughs> you you know, and I'm so I'm sorry, but it's it, my responsibility, isn't it? Oh no, you're, oh, no. So the reason gonna... I the reason I couldn't decide is I'm obsessed with both for different reasons. Like my favourite is Cindy Lauper is, is the original, that's what I love the most. But when I was a teenager, um, and do you know do you know the Eva Cassidy story? No. Uh, but it's really desperately sad. She was an extraordinary singer who was discovered by uh, someone at a record label and, and became a megastar, but it only happened after she passed away. She died very young of cancer. Um, oh, no. I think it was cancer. So she died. She was very much discovered, and she became like a massive hit, and people were obsessed. 
but she had she had died before any of that happened. And to be fair, I think from what I remember from the time, she was the sort of person that would not much have enjoyed the limelight anyway. She was she was very. I think she had quite a happy life. I don't mm. feel um, it's not like oh shucks she missed fame. Not everybody wants fame, but it, there is something in she ne- will never know how many people she reached, how many people were powerfully affected by her music. Um, but yeah, I was one of them. When I was a teenager, I, I adored it, and uh, I learned time after time, the Eva Cassidy version of time after time, which is actually really quite complicated, was the first thing I ever learned on the guitar. And what I, the way that I learned it is I literally sat there, I had far too much time on my hands, obviously, as a teenager, and I sat there and I found each note individually, because I didn't know any chords or anything, mm-hmm. so I couldn't work out. So I literally just went, where's that note? That's there. Where's that note? That's there. And it took me hours to work it out, but it was the first thing that I learned to play on the guitar. Um, and I think it's kind of influenced my guitar playing since, because I'm still, half the time I don't know what I'm playing. I just go, I want that note, and I don't really think about it um, in in any sort of recognisable way. Like I know how to play other instruments, and I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm playing while I play. And with the guitar, I could work it out, but I don't. My brain doesn't see it that way. I just kind of see it as. So, game. so you know, you know, theory on other instruments. Yeah. So I did my like grade seven flute, and I play the piano a bit, and I know, you know, not very well, but I do. I know what I'm what I'm playing, and I do now. Obviously, know some chords mm. <laughs> on the guitar, but I still quite often, like, if I, I write a song and play it to my band, and they'll be like, "What key is this in?" and I won't know like I'll have to think about it and I can work it out but I won't I won't know I actually I'm the same like I learned from friends and by ear I had a guitar teacher early on but he he never wanted to teach me anything that I wanted to play so kind of fell by the wayside and I was just I would work stuff out from records and I would get shown the odd thing by my friends and I would probably be a much better musician now if I'd actually sort of stuck with it but later on I started having piano lessons, um, but stopped because my piano teacher moved away, and I was being frightfully stubborn about it. Going, like, I can't have you. I don't want anyone. I don't want anyone. It's you or us. You will bust. Yeah. Fair um. I, so, like, I started learning theory properly much later, mm. and but I couldn't tell you what key any of my music's in. I don't. Yeah. I, 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 like, I watch YouTube videos now. Trying, how do you? And but I just don't quite follow. My brain doesn't quite yeah, work that I way. Yeah, mine doesn't really either. And it's something that I kind of wish that I had. Uh, I wish that I sort of knew more about what I was playing when I'm playing it. But then there is also a part of me, and I don't know if this is just the lazy part of me trying to tell myself a story so that I don't have to work harder. But that, there is a part of me that's like part of the reason that I can write is because I don't. I just like look for stuff, and that's how I mm-hmm. find things. That's how I. And then I sing over the top of it. And if I thought in terms of chord progression, I, it wouldn't work for the way that I write. So, like, I don't write on the piano because I know what I'm doing. So I never write on the piano, really. Sometimes I'll write a song and then put it on the piano later. Yeah. But, yeah. So it's one of those things, and again, I'm probably just justifying my laziness in saying that, but um, I don't I don't really know what I'm doing. But I do have quite a good finger-picking hand because 
this this first song that I learned to play was really difficult to play <laughs> and I just was like you can do it just learn it one finger at a time one note at a time so that wasn't easy I suppose but it was quite a long time ago now well I think I think that makes your decision for you yeah, doesn't it it's gonna I do and I love Cindy Lauper and I love her version and it's her song but it's gonna have to be the Ubicasti one isn't it I think after that story so there we go yeah this is time after time then If you're lost, you can look and you will find me. All right, so moving on from the Eva Cassidy cover, Time After Time, who's up next? So next is, uh, this is a really special one. So the next is the wonderful Richard Thompson, who uh, you may know as the guitarist from Fairport Convention, if you don't know him otherwise. Um, he is a brilliant another brilliant guitarist i have a lot of brilliant guitarists in my list which is funny given that i'm a pretty terrible guitarist myself but um he is like a staggeringly good guitarist um and this song is one of the most sort of important songs to me in the world and it was another one of the first songs that i ever learned to play um it's always been a one that makes me cry a lot it's another snotty song it's very beautiful story, very beautiful, um, very well-loved song. Um, but it's also, this is the first song that my husband ever heard me play, or at least I, it was one of the first songs that he ever heard me play. Um, and it was quite a significant moment for us in terms of getting together. Um, and we had it at the wedding. We had our friend play this song at my wedding. So this is one of two songs on the list that are from my wedding. So this one... Um, this is, and it's sort of hilariously, this song is actually about like a lost love and uh, and I think probably a crack addict and I think like the world going completely wrong and the woman you love disappearing and never choosing you and leaving you alone, being completely heartbroken and we thought that would be an appropriate thing to have as our wedding song. But um, <laughs> like, a lot of people were like, what? But it just, it means a lot to us and always has done. So, but sometimes, sometimes you love it just because it's beautiful, not necessarily for the content. Exactly, and I do, I do love that the story is a beautiful story. It's just not a very positive wedding story, but it's story in my love, in my love story, my sort of my marriage. It it was very significant in that it was a song that. I think I played it at a party at like four in the morning or something, um, and Frank, my husband, was. I'm probably completely off his face, but he was just a bit like, oh, I love her in that moment. And that was <laughs> so, so it was really, really poignant to me. There was another, there was another folk singer there, our, our wonderful friend, Will Varley, who you may or may not have come across, was at this party. Um, and he was talking about the song. And he said, oh, to, to my husband, he said, well, my now husband. And he said, oh, I, I wish I knew how to play it. And I was like, I do. So then I, I played the song. And it was a really kind of magical little moment for for my husband and I and so yeah it's it's more about what it was for us in our journey than about what it dictates in its journey but it's not, it's not like super suitable material but we don't really care I've, I've I've actually toyed with the idea of doing bonus episodes 
on themes, but of, of best and worst. Like, what, what would be the worst piece of music to put on for the first dance at a wedding? Uh, you know, yeah. just 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 to get some some funny answers out of people. But um, well, to be fair, we didn't try and dance to this. This was during the ceremony, so we mm-hmm. we, we danced to Queen. We had a crazy little thing called Love for our first dance, which which feels like that's appropriate. Um, but that's this a good was during one. the the signing of the register, we had this song. And crazy little thing called loves like that's that's a good that's a good one for people to join you on the dance floor with because quite often like it's a slow jam and there's that moment where people are like do we do we go on yet yeah like awkward shuffle yeah totally but but with with well with that queen song that's you know that's up tempo enough that people can literally just bounce yeah they just sort of edge in naturally anyway because they can't you can't not dance to it yeah you know it's freddie mercury doing this thing that you can't not boo you so it did work really well my husband hates dancing and i love it so but it, it's a proper dance song like it, it's like a jive song. it feels like a swing song you know it's like it's yeah built for it i, I feel like w- weddings is one of the few uh, sort of occasions that i do get more comfortable dancing at really like i have a like a, it's, it's my barometer for alcohol like if i'm drunk enough to dance i'm drunk enough yeah but um but but every now and then there's a track that will come on even if I'm like the designated driver certain tracks like I, I don't care that I'm not drunk I kind of need to dance to this song exactly <laughs> we had a friend who said to us their favourite thing about our wedding because my, my husband's punk punk rocker and mm-hmm. all his friends are sort of into into punk rock and it's all a bit kind of darker and moody and my I went to drama school where I was an actress so all my friends like musical theatre and they, they you know they love dancing and our friend Hugo said his favourite part of our wedding was standing at the side of the of the, of the, of the, of the dance floor and going Jess's friend Frank friend Jess's friend Frank friend <laughs> from the way that they were dancing which I think is probably totally true because but some of them were moshing some of them were moshing yeah and some of them were like doing pirouettes and <laughs> It was quite, right. but I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. So, what Everybody. was this track that that cast the spell? On yes, your so this this track is the wonderful Richard Thompson song "Beeswing." I took a job in the steamy down on Carlton Street. I fell in love with a laundry girl who was working next to me. Well, she was a rare thing, fine as a beeswing. Okay, so moving on from Richard Thompson, who's up next? So next is Bellowhead, who I don't know if you if you've come across them before, but they they uh, are now disbanded, sadly. Uh, they were a brilliant sort of folk collective. I think they had like eleven. I think it was like an eleven-piece band. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time, <laughs> led by brilliant folk singer John Bowden, who I'm a big fan of independently. Um, and Bellowhead were just basically like it's like punk rock meets it's like folk but in a punk rock way like they're just, yep. they're just brilliant um, and they're so much fun live and they're so much fun on record and this one is is in this is in the list because it's probably of all the songs on this list if I'm having a glum or if I'm just feeling a bit snoozy like this is the song that will make me feel better and bounce around it's just it's just so cheerful and it reminds me actually I, I worked as an actress I worked up in um, Pitlockery in Scotland for a long time so I spent about a year up there um, and I loved it 
um, with a fiery passion. And this song, I mean, they're actually it's it's an English group, but there was a, there's a lot of folk music in Pitlock Creek. Um, and me and a few other people played a cover of this song one night, and it just became a bit of an anthem for the people that I was working with. So it reminds me of like the lock and the dam and the the woods. It just makes me feel better. It's a good old song. Yeah, it's it's a, it's really upbeat and thing. Even though they're a sort of an English group, there's a very sort of Celtic tone that goes through it. Very much so. Yeah, I actually don't know. I think so. I think a couple of them are Scottish. I can't remember exactly the composition of the band. Who was it? Because it changes as well. Who's in the band sometimes? Mm. I think because it was such a big. I, group. I I love I love a folk group with a with just too many people on stage. <laughs> yeah, me too. And a horn section. Oh, love that. <laughs> Um, when I when I first started gigging, doing the the loop pedal thing, mm. I would I would get put in for a lot of gigs and and sort of little mini festivals around sort of Digbeth in Birmingham. That's where yeah. the, the manager was based. And there was a little mini festival that happened at the custard factory. And there was a this crazy folk group. I think they were called the Destroyers. Good and name. They all, all in white, not enough room for all of them on the stage. And there was, and one of the band members was uh, a fairly elderly gentleman who was like their poet laureate. So he would do this kind of spoken word verses that would just give way to these cacophonous, chaotic, <laughs> like choruses that that. That were really catchy and easy to sing along to, so uh, so it had that kind of punk rock sort of oi yeah, oi kind of yeah exactly. And uh, yeah, I just became an instant fan, you know. So like, I I, I love that kind of that chaos. Yeah, well, that's I mean, that's very much an element with Bellahead, I think, is that sort of uh, organised chaos that then comes together in the choruses and then it goes wild. But they, uh, I actually, so I've seen them lots of times. I saw them at the Royal Albert Hall once, which is like not a super punky venue, but I've never seen so many people sort of wiggle standing up between their seats in the Albert Hall because you just can't sit still. Like it's just not sit still music, which is quite unusual maybe in the folk world as well. There's a lot of sitting quietly and like sometimes taking notes, you know, like at the Cambridge Folk Festival or whatever, people take it very seriously. And this just yeah, has no time for that and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it doesn't strike me as music to stroke the chin to. It, no, it's exactly. it's music to get amongst it. Exactly, and I adore that. And I think that was their intention as well, because John, you know, who who's, who put the band together, John Bowden, he he did this thing where he did a folk song a day for a year. So every day for a year, he recorded a folk song a day. Like he really, really knows his his stuff and his chin strokey folk stuff. Like he's really comfortable with it. And I think he just got wanted there to be something that was just fun and wild in the world mm -hmm. he existed in, and that, and so he built it. And I think it's. I mean, I'm speaking for him. I've never spoken to him about it. I don't know if that's true, but um, that's what he created anyway. And it's great fun. Okay, so this is. So this is New York Girls. I walked down to New York town, a fair maid I didn't meet. She asked me back to see a place she lived on Barrack Street and the way. Alright, so moving on from UK folk rock, kind of 
sidestepping into almost an American equivalent here. Yeah, kind of. I mean, an American giant, for sure. Um, so this, so Bruce Springsteen, the, the ultimate American storyteller. That's probably Bob Dylan, actually, isn't it? But you know what I mean? <laughs> no, because no, because you can tell what Bruce is saying. Like, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, Dylan's amazing. Yeah. Um, but like, you 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 can you can visualize every scene that Springsteen talks about because yeah. it's all intelligible. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, and actually, that's something that that Bruce and Martin Simpson, who we listened to earlier, have in common for me, um, and actually. Uh, dive straights too like they there are pictures in their stories like you you picture it mm. you go you feel like you know the characters you, you get to know who they are um but yeah bruce bruce springsteen uh was my mum's favorite band actually and i talk about my dad so much when i talk about music i always feel like oh, i always talk about my mummy um and she loves bruce springsteen um in a way that i that she's not less into music generally but Bruce would always be the one that she loves the most and she always said about this song that she thought he was probably the only man on earth who could get away with the lyric you, you ain't a beauty but you're alright <laughs> which is <laughs> song and I was like yeah I think he might be the only person that could say that to a woman and a woman still go oh okay <laughs> like, don't yeah pretty much it's just like, like well it's you that's saying it so yeah whatever fine. if it was anyone else it would be it would be like glass Jog on. in your face <laughs> yeah exactly but, but you're Bruce Springsteen so you can get away with it um, so he's he's magic and this song is particularly magic I think and this one actually is the song I walked down the aisle to um, oh, so it will always be a big one. Although, actually, as, as when it happened, my husband insisted. He was like, "You can't come in until the saxophone solo. You've got to like, you've got to land your entrance on the saxophone solo." Which it turns out, as I was waiting outside the room and everyone had already stood up, it's like some really long time. I <laughs> 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 just stood there being like, "Oh shit!" But I promised him, so and we'd organised it so that I didn't come in. So I sent my um, bridesmaids in like really slowly. <laughs> <laughs> when when we did our sort of entrance music, I I edited it with a sort of slow fade up so that it would. Yeah, like, that's a good, that's we, good idea. We didn't do. We that. had we had the uh, the vitamin string quartet version of Lithium because Nirvana oh. is my wife's favourite band. Yeah, yeah. And it was really funny watching all of my friends go. Why do I know <laughs> this? Nirvana. Yeah, exactly. Well, lots of lots of my friends said to me afterwards, or you know, or said to Frank afterwards, said to my husband, they were like, "How did you get her to walk down the aisle to Bruce Springsteen?" And I was like, "That was my idea, fuckers." Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is some give me some credit, yeah. Yeah, I, what? Uh, but it was it was great, and it made people smile, and it kind of you know, it, it's such an amazing song, such an iconic song. It's not cheerful, I don't know what it is. Like, it's hurty. Do you know what I mean? It's like an ouchy song, but it's mm. beautiful. Um, and it is about, like, starting a life with someone, and it's about, like, running away, and it's about... It, it sort of features a lot of things that resonate with with myself and with my husband, and it felt like the right thing to do, but, yeah, it was quite a long wait outside the, <laughs> outside the venue. <laughs> so next did either time... Of you, next time I'll did, either of you, did either of you play on the day? No. No, we refused. We were like, absolutely not. Like, it's not a working day for us, do you know what I mean? So we, we didn't, we we made our friends play instead. Yeah, I did a similar thing. I, I, I pulled in a few favours. Yeah, uh, did you play? People. 
Uh, no, um, I was a favourite at a friend's wedding, so like yeah. I got kind of pulled out of retirement to play at, at their reception, and it was, the, the the entertainment was basically different permutations of all his mates' bands and sort of kind of cross pollinations of like yeah. like there's there's a friend of ours who's like a in a full-on metal band and we we did a cover of like Warren G's Regulate on request like Great. it was a very eclectic affair That's quite wild but, yeah but but for our day I pulled in a favour from a, a ska band that I'd gigged with Great and I got the the trumpet player the trombone player and the guitarist to play uh, uh, I'm a believer by the monkeys that was because because when you get if you if you get married in a venue that's not a church, you're not allowed to have anything religious. But yeah. we still wanted some music in the ceremony, yeah. Yeah. so we printed off the, the the lyrics like they were hymn sheets, and I'm, we made them all sing. Yeah, so we did um, the same thing with Stand by Me because we wanted it, like you know, we wanted not a hymn specifically, but you want everyone to sing. Like, yeah, it's a wonderful thing to have that many people gathering and 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 singing. So we had in the ceremony, we had one friend, we had two two friends sing individual mm. songs while we were singing so, sorry mm. signing the register and stuff because you got it takes a few minutes and then at the end we had our friends uh my my bandmate actually my my co-singer in my band laura and frank's uh keyboardist in his band um and his partner anna who plays the fiddle did us by regina specter and then after that everyone had to join in they played and everybody joined in on stand by me and it was great so we had loads of music but same like you're not even allowed to mention God at all, are you? So you can't have like any yeah. hymns. So, so but this was better. There, there was a balcony at the back of the room where we put them, so no one had any idea they were there. Oh, amazing! And then we kind of like, and then the, the you know, the the registrar said, "And now the couple would like you all to pick up your your hymn sheets or your <laughs> lyric sheets." Yeah. Um, That's so amazing. yeah, it was, it was good fun watching the confused looks on their face. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> Yeah, very special moments. So. so what Bruce Springsteen track did you walk down the aisle to, Jess? So I I mean I could have chosen several but I went for Thunder Road. It's a good job it wasn't born to run. Yeah. Well that honestly that would have been kinda of cool. I thought it would be quite funny, it'd make people laugh. And I did think about it, but I just love Thunder Road. Which is also about running away. Moving on from the boss, who's up next? Reluctantly moving on from the boss, uh, onto a bunch of other bosses actually. So next, uh, this is arguably my favourite band, um, or at least my favourite band sort of from my childhood. So this is Fleetwood Mac. Mm -hmm. um, I spent most of my childhood wanting to be Stevie Nicks. This is before I knew anything about her outrageous coke habit, or indeed anything about coke <laughs> at all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's when I was a kid. But she was just, she just seemed like the coolest human being on the planet to me. Um, and I love her voice. I still adore her voice. And I love the way that she writes. Um, and I love the sound of Fleetwood Mac. And this song, so I went to see them as an adult. I went to see them a few years ago with my parents, which was really, really good fun. And uh, this song is is 
I think I chose this one because I love all of it. I love that it was difficult to pick a fleet with Max song. I chose this one because Stevie did this like really emotional speech before it about how once when she was poor, she went into this shop and wanted to buy everything and couldn't. And then she went back when she was rich and bought everything. And I was like, wow, that's so inspirational, Stevie. <laughs> because she's definitely a bit um, bonkers these days. She's done too many drugs and the story was, was very eclectic and didn't make any sense. Um, and then she started singing this song and I was like, doesn't matter, she's a genius. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it was one of my favorite moments in the show because um, she was sort of telling this inspirational story, which turned out to be all about how much money she made in the end. But I, she deserves it, I think, because she's a genius. I think everyone can appreciate that sort of, sort of fuck you moment of yeah. going back and going, I'll show oh, you. Yeah. I think anyone can exactly. appreciate that, but uh, totally. it sounds it sounds like the story itself was a little bit incoherent. Maybe was, I don't know. It was more, I think, just that the audience were like, "We love you, Stevie," and then five minutes later, we were like, "We're all lost in the story, but we still <laughs> love you, Stevie." <laughs> just couldn't can't keep up. But it doesn't matter. Like she can talk as long as she wants and say whatever the hell she likes. I'll listen. I think she's amazing. Um, but this song, yeah, it's also kind of about getting back to your roots and getting back to the stuff that you loved at the beginning. And it was one of the ones, one of the songs I listened to most when, I don't know if you remember in the 90s, there was that like hippie craze where everybody suddenly mm. had like um, orange burnt rugs and like star moon duvet covers mm -hmm. and stuff um and i definitely went through that phase and at that point i was like really identifying with this song and with stevie as a teenager um and she's the other person sort of between her and dar williams that's who i want to write like those are the people i wish i could write like didn't we? so this is so this is gypsy Okay, so following on from Fleetwood Mac, we find ourselves at your final track. But before we get stuck into that, for the benefit of anyone who's hearing about you for the first time, where's the best place to find out about who you are and all your creative endeavors? So I, uh, I put most of my stuff on Instagram actually, which is probably mm -hmm. why, how are we connected? Um, mm -hmm. But my Instagram is at jess.guys. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also my band is Guys, it's just Guys, G-U-I-S-E, like Disguise. And we have a Facebook page and we're on Spotify and we have Instagram and Twitter and all, all the usual things. So you can either look me up directly at Jess Guys or, or the band. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. And if you pick one track for from your solo repertoire and one track from the band mm. that you would put forward to to sort of introduce you, yourself to anyone listening yeah. we'll add that to the mix yeah well, all my stuff is under guys so whether I'm solo or the band it's all the same that's why it's my name ah super you know what there I mean but it's all under one banner yeah but, but I just have my own Instagram account is the thing I use the most okay yeah. alright well, we'll link to that Perfect. so who's your last track by so my last track, this is a really sad uh, story in its way, but really I had to have one of, their, one of their songs. So my last track is the Frightened Rabbit track. Um, 
Um, are, you, are you familiar with Brent Rabbit? No, first time I heard it was today. Really? Oh, sensational, sensational writer. So it's a wonderful man, very good friend of my husband's. Um, Scott passed away a few years ago, very suddenly, um, which was very sad. He took his own life, which was desperately sad. But so much of his music deals with the dark corners of life and, and struggling to stay alive and, and being um, a sort of... But feel like Scott, I didn't ever get to meet Scott, which is one of the things that I feel very sad about because he was a dear friend of my husband's and I was a massive, massive fan long before I had met or heard of um, Frank, who I married. Um, and I've been a, a Scott fan for forever. And he just, I think he just writes more beautiful songs than anyone else, <laughs> and he did. Um, and it's one of those stories, there's not masses to say about it apart from it's sort of like ending on a slightly missed opportunity. I'm sad that I never got to meet him, but I feel like I know him. And that's one of the things that I think is most, most incredible about music, where you feel like you've got a friend in person on the other end of the song. And of course you don't, they don't know you from Adam, but it feels like they understand the world a bit like you do. I think, yeah, I, mean, I think it's to, to a musician's credit when the listener can gauge so much of their point of view through listening to the music. Because you could write, I mean, pop music is probably fairly, you know, innocuous sort of simple storytelling, if, if, if storytelling at all, it's just like, let, let's make something that's fun to listen to. But people who write beautiful music that gets a point across or tells a story or conveys an emotion and if it resonates with people that's absolutely to their credit yeah and it yeah i think it's an interesting thing when I, you know as a, as someone who writes music and someone who's married to someone who writes music you know sometimes people think they know things about you that are just not true at all you know <laughs> because what we do is we build a picture of that human and we fill in the gaps we take the start with the song and fill in the gaps in. I am absolutely confident that that's what I've done with Scott. You know, I've, I've got this picture of this person in my head because I just adore all of his songs and they're so raw and they're so open and honest, um, brutally so. Like, sometimes it's difficult to listen to because he's so brutally honest. And so you feel like you know them, but of course you don't. You, you know a tiny corner of them, but you've built a friend for yourself. It's like having... Like having an artist that you love that much is a bit like having a, an imaginary friend <laughs> and there is a real comfort in that. Um, I think sometimes it can maybe be a bit weird when people then meet their imaginary friend and think that, and I think that that's full of pitfalls and can be quite interesting and can be wonderful and can be really awful. Um, but you don't, you, you don't want one of these assumptions to come across and be completely off base. Yeah, totally. And then no one never mind, you know, we've had... I've had people say to me, I was like, oh, so uh, you got married in XYZ place and you got married on this day and like, neither of those things are true. And then I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable, but they just feel, people just fill in the blanks and, and it can be a bit odd because, uh, and that does happen. But at the same time, I think we all do it when we connect with, with music that much because you feel like you know someone, you feel like you have a friend with them. And I think fundamentally that's a really beautiful thing. And Scott's the best example of that for me. I think of someone that I never knew who I feel like I need. Thanks so much for coming on, Jess. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Well, it's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's been great.
So that concludes this week's episode and I think it's pretty obvious that I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Jess was genuinely worried that she was going to struggle to come up with explanations for some of her song choices because there was quite a delay between when she submitted her mixtape and when we actually sat down to record. But I think she was funny, engaging and she had some really interesting stories attached to all of her song choices so I'm very grateful to her for coming on. Now, I promised earlier that I would explain the lengthy delay between episodes, and it's basically this. Um, I've been struggling a little bit to readjust to the world being open again. My day job can be pretty demanding, and comedy gigs are also happening again. And there's no set schedule for that. They pop up kind of as and when, and whereas before, when the world was closed, down, I had this abundance of time to plan, record and edit episodes, whereas now time is becoming a little bit more finite and uh, I'm struggling to, to find like a set time to put it all together. I think basically what I'm going to have to do is make Sunday evenings precious and kind of sacrosanct for editing and releasing the episodes and I'm just going to have to not take bookings for comedy gigs on Sundays. I think that's what I'm gonna have to do. But one of the other things that's been going on is we are 90% sure that I probably, most likely have some form of ADHD. Um, I was listening to an interview with someone who got diagnosed as an adult and he listed off several of these behaviors and character traits and it was alarming how many of these rang true for me. So all of a sudden, I have a legitimate reason for several things that I have always struggled with, but it's also potentially the reason for a lot of my creative traits, be that comedy or music or putting podcasts together. Um, so it's, it's interesting and it's upsetting and it's challenging and yeah, it's just a bit of a tumultuous time. Um, so I've just been trying to get my head around all of this and it, it's not been easy. So while I'm wrestling with all of this, uh, I'm going to try to continue to release episodes of Mixtapes with Mike. But uh, I just wanted you to know what was going on so that you can understand that every now and then there might be a gap between episodes. Uh, because I've, I've only got so much bandwidth and it turns out my bandwidth might be a little bit narrower than the average person. So... Uh, yeah, all I'm asking is maybe just bear with me. I'm not going anywhere, but a little bit of patience would be massively appreciated. Now, as always, we've kept the music discussed played below the conversation because I believe that all musicians should be paid for what they do. But if you want to listen to the mixtape in full, you can find it on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. But for now, I will see you next week. I promise I will see you next week for another episode of Mixtapes with Mike.